So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretations. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to, the, to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with Him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made, the matter, you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to, the, to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mystery has made it, mysteries has made it known to you what is to be. 
But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, uh, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth, the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw, the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation, sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are this great God that Daniel speaks of and that we gather here to hear your words this morning, teach us, shape us, change us, uh, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, earlier, uh, it, was, it was last year, I guess, in Thailand, some uh, group of boys on a soccer team went hiking with their uh, coach. They went to explore some caves, and while they were in the caves, it was getting close to flood season. Uh, a great rainstorm came up and flooded the entire cave system. These boys ventured back to where they, where they could find safety, and there they stayed 
trapped in this cave. They were there for more than 18 days. And uh, the government and many rescue organizations are trying to figure out how to save these boys and get them out of the cave. Now, it would be important for them, if they are going to do this rightly and appropriately, they had to recognize their limitations and deal with it. They had to realize, as humans, we can't breathe underwater. We need air tanks. One air tank isn't enough. We're going to have to stage them several places through the the cave because it's a long way to get back to where these boys go. We have to realize that these boys aren't trained as divers. They have limitations. We're going to have to train them and get them comfortable using masks. And we got to realize that if a, if, a, if a kid gets afraid or if anybody gets afraid, what do you start doing? You start, <gasps> what does that do? It eats up oxygen. So we got to figure out a way to medicate these boys, to, to put them under some anesthesia so that they're, they calm down. They're not afraid as they go through these dark caves doing diving that only the elite divers in the world would be able to handle. And they saved every single one of them. Every single boy was saved. Including and the coach. If they had not recognized their limitations, it would have been a complete disaster and the definition of recklessness and foolishness. Here in Daniel, God is seeking to bring our attention and our minds to our limitations, that we must recognize them and that we must deal with them appropriately. To not do so will be the definition of foolishness, will be complete recklessness, and will lead to disaster. Look how in this passage, Daniel is seeking to draw us to recognize our limitations. First, notice the the limitations of the power of man that's pointed out in this passage. Do you notice how Nebuchadnezzar is described by Daniel in this dream. Look over in verse 37. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all. This is the definition of power. Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man in the world. If you want to look and understand and see what the power of man can accomplish, look at Nebuchadnezzar. If you want to see the limits of the power of man, look at Nebuchadnezzar. Do you see how limited he is in this passage? Over and over it talks about, in verse 1, look, This most powerful man in the world wakes up and it says he's troubled. His sleep left him. He can't deal with his limitations. This dream has come. He doesn't know what it means. He cannot make any sense of it. So what does he do? What any man of power would do. I'm going to use my power to overcome my limitations. And what does he do? He commands all of the, the wise men, the enchanters, the, the Chaldeans, these Babylonian wise people to come to him to, to, to tell him what, what's going on. Uh, when that doesn't work, 
What does he do? In verses 5 to 8, he begins to threaten them and say, look, if you can't tell me what's going on, I'm going to rip you limb from limb. You will be nothing but body parts and I will completely destroy your houses. Does that work? No. His power accomplishes nothing. He's limited in his power. He can't bring this about, no matter his threats, no matter his promises. Look in verse uh, 6. He makes these promises to the people using his power, all of his resources. I will make you the greatest in the land. Honor, riches, resources. It can accomplish nothing. And so ultimately he makes this decree that he's going to wipe and kill all of them. And he ends up, we, in the end, we see a very powerful man, but one who is limited. He can't, there are certain things that he is just unable to do with his power. It's important for us to think about and recognize if this is true for the most powerful man in the world at the time, then how much more so is it true for you and for me? As we look at our own lives, as we look at our own limitations, as we look at how what we cannot do, we can be tempted to think that, that we can do a lot, that in our power and our strength, we can overcome much that comes into our lives. But what do we look at as we look at our, are we, are we tempted to, to trust? Do you, do you see and grow in confidence in your own health, in your own strength? In your own power, guess what? Those things aren't guaranteed. They're going away. In fact, when you woke up this morning, you were that much closer to the day of your death than you were yesterday. Our strength, our power is limited. Our agility, our skill, our good looks, our weapons... Our ability to protect and defend our family, our own lives, our relationships. Think about how we can, in our fear, and if we do recognize our own limitations, we may be tempted to turn to the power and strength of other people around us to deliver us in the midst of struggles we face. Daniel is showing us you need to recognize your own limitations and you need to realize as you look around that hope cannot be found in the power of any man. There's limitations there. But notice, it's not just the power of man, it's the wisdom of man. The limitations of man's wisdom. Look in verse 2. The king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, which is the special class of wise, learned people in Babylon, that they be summoned to describe and tell the dream to Nebuchadnezzar and interpret it. You notice what these, the elite of the elite, the collection of the wisest people in the world are assembled, and what do they tell Nebuchadnezzar over and over and over again? We can't do it. We cannot do this. What you are asking us to do, they tell Nebuchadnezzar, is too difficult for us to do. In fact, in verse 10, they say, you know what? It's not just hard for us. In verse 10, it says, there is no man on earth who can meet the king's demand. 
they realize and are acknowledging and Daniel is showing us the limits of the wisdom and knowledge of humanity. And this isn't just the Babylonians who are saying this. Did you notice Daniel says the same thing in verse 27? Daniel says, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. This would have included Daniel himself. Daniel is pointing and showing us it's not just the limitations of the power of man, it's the limitations of the wisdom of man. That in our knowledge, in our insight, in our learning, we are limited. Our expertise, our memory, our cleverness, our humor. It's going. Some of us may end up, some of us have parents now who are battling with dementia. Others of us can't remember what you even had for breakfast this morning. Not because of any uh, mental struggle or disability. We just forget stuff. We can put people on the moon. We can send spacecraft billions of miles into space. But God is saying, as great as those accomplishments may be, your wisdom is limited and there are things that the wisdom and knowledge of mankind will not be able to do and cannot do. Be careful. Do not put your hope, do not put your trust on your own wisdom and your own knowledge to figure things out, to make sense of the world, to find success and deliverance and salvation. Don't depend and take confidence in your education or the grades you get or the success that, you, that comes about in your work and your endeavors. God is saying it is limited. Do not trust. Do not hope in it. Recognize the limitations of human wisdom. But it's not just human power and human wisdom. It's the religion of man as well that is limited. Do you notice that in verse 11? Uh, as oh, it'd be helpful if I looked in chapter two. These uh, Chaldeans say to the king, the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods. However, they're limited. They do not dwell with man. Daniel is saying, Although it sounds like the, the Chaldeans are, are saying good things about their gods, they're acknowledging and recognizing a limitation of these, this religion that man has developed. They cannot, in this instance, go to their gods and expect help or deliverance. The religion of man cannot save them, cannot reveal to them what they need, because it's false. It's been created by man. It is limited. There are certain things that it cannot do. Daniel is saying, you must recognize it here. That it's not just the, the, the religion, the man-made religion that these Babylonians have come up with that is limited. It is any religion that humanity has come up with that says anything that's contrary to the, the Word of God is revealed in the Scriptures, that is limited and will disappoint. This doesn't matter if it's Buddha or Allah, Brahma, Krishna, your money, 
which can be a man-made God that we give our lives to pursuing, our works righteousness, which is so prevalent in the Bible Belt of America of thinking that we can please God through our man-made efforts of attending church and doing good works before our God. Daniel was saying, be aware of these limitations. The limitations of man's religion are there and it will fail you. And he finally brings it to a close here in us recognizing our limitations and pointing out the limitations of the kingdom of man. Do you notice this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? These subsequent kingdoms that keep coming up and coming up and coming up. Uh, Daniel will touch back uh, on another angle of looking at this, uh, these kingdoms that are coming in, uh, in, a, in a few chapters in chapter 7. So we're not going to get so tied up into who these kingdoms are, except just to recognize in general the kingdoms of man keep coming up. And you know what keeps happening? They come to an end. He tells Nebuchadnezzar, there will be a kingdom after you. Why? Because your kingdom's going to come to an end. And after that, there's going to be another kingdom. What's going to happen? Well, it's going to come to an end. And it goes all the way down to where it talks about this, this stone that's formed, not with hands, of man, that comes and it completely destroys and takes out these, uh, this kingdom, uh, these, all these kingdoms of man. And it describes it like this, that when all of these kingdoms are broken together and broken up in verse 35, They'll be like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carry them away so that not a trace of them could be found. The kingdoms of man are limited. They will not last. They will not be around. Do not place your hope in them. They cannot follow through. What about us? What? How do, are we looking to different kingdoms to deliver us? This is true throughout history. Egypt came to an end. Rome came to an end. The United States of America will come to an end. We are not the kingdom of God. The United States is not seeking the kingdom of God. It is limited. It will not deliver. It will not save. It doesn't matter what political party. It does not matter what political candidate. It doesn't matter if it's our economic system or our military. Daniel is saying there are limitations to the kingdoms of man. And if you put your hope and your confidence and your trust in them, you will be disappointed because they will come to an end. If this is true, if there's all these limitations that we're seeing of us as humans, of our power, of our wisdom, of our religion, of our kingdoms, then where do we go? In our, in our family, there's me. There's Lindsay. There's Adelaide. There's Beckett. And then there's Greta. You never hear this in our house. If somebody has trouble reaching something that's way up on the top shelf or getting the milk out of the refrigerator um, or uh, picking up heavy things off of the ground, this is never heard in our house. Greta! Greta! Come help me, Greta! Why? Because they recognize Greta's limitations. She's short. She's weak. 
She can't reach those things. Greta can't even wipe her buns. Why are you going to call her to assist you in the midst of this? No, what do you do? The proper response is in the midst of your recognizing your own limitations. You don't look to someone else who is as limited or more limited than you. You call in for the big guns. You call in for the tallest in the house, the strongest in the house. There is no milk jug in the refrigerator that I cannot pick up. Do you not see that's what Daniel is saying here? The proper response to your own limitations is not to look to other limited things. It's to run and flee to the limitless God. Notice, notice what he does. God, the one with unlimited power. In verse 20, as Daniel is praising and worshiping his God, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. Power is his. You don't have it unless he gives it to you. He is the source of all power. He is the unlimited powerful one. Notice how it describes his power. He changes seasons and times. Who can do this? He places kings on their thrones and he removes them. He is God of gods, Nebuchadnezzar proclaims in verse 47. There there is no God above him. He is king of kings. There is no king above him. If you are in trouble, you want to flee just like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did to the God who has unlimited power. But not just unlimited power, he has unlimited wisdom. Notice in verse 20, Daniel again says, to him belongs wisdom. In verse 21, it says that he is the one who gives wisdom to the wise. He is the one who gives knowledge to those who have understanding. He is the one who reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness. He is the one who brings light. There is nothing that God doesn't understand. There is nothing that God doesn't have insight into that He doesn't know. God reveals, He gives, He understands this wisdom and knowledge and everything. He is not limited as we are, why would we not flee to the one with unlimited power and the one with unlimited wisdom? But notice too, the limitless one that we're called to run to, in contrast to the the gods of man-made religions, to the gods of Babylon who said, oh, we, well, the gods might know, but they don't dwell with us. Notice what Daniel says about the unlimited nearness of the God of the Bible. In verse 17 and 18, um, uh, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, their response is to run to this God, to pray to Him. Why? They're confident that He hears. They're confident that He listens. They're confident that He answers and works through prayer. And what do we see? He responds in verse uh, uh, 17 to 18. As they're praying, God gives them the answer. Daniel tells them that this is the God, unlike the gods of, uh, of Babylon, who do not exist. 
This God gives wisdom to those who seek. He gives understanding and He gives knowledge. He reveals what He has, uh, what He what we do not know and makes known to us the things that are hidden. If, uh, if there's uh, one way that we should be able to see these things coming together, the power, the wisdom, the nearness of the God of the Bible. Think about it. The Babylonians, they are about to be completely slaughtered. Can they go to their God? No, there is no hope. They don't even bother asking because these gods do not dwell with us. We are just going to die. But what do we see? Daniel, later, uh, he's going to talk and tell us about, uh, give us a, a greater picture of the nearness of this God who, uh, who will take on flesh to uh, re- receive this kingdom. This is Jesus. We see the power the wisdom, the nearness of our God. He is not one who doesn't dwell with flesh, doesn't dwell with man. He takes on flesh to come to and to pursue and save His people, to use His power to die, to suffer, to will one day come and rule. He uses His wisdom and His knowledge to reveal to us the truth about the God who has created all things and how we can be made right with Him. God doesn't just dwell aloof and off. He's unlimited in His power and His wisdom and His nearness. And He comes near to and seeks His people and pursues us in the person of Christ. And the last thing that we see related to running to this limitless one is He's the one with unlimited power, unlimited wisdom, unlimited nearness, and an unlimited kingdom. Notice in verse 44, Daniel says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Daniel, earlier, describing this kingdom, in verse 35, he describes it as a kingdom that will fill the entire earth. The king of this kingdom is Jesus. He's entered into the world to to begin to establish it and to bring and redeem and save citizens that we might be brought into this kingdom. He is the unlimited one. Why? Why? If if Jesus is before us like this, if our Heavenly Father has, uh, has revealed Himself to us as the one without with unlimited power, with unlimited wisdom, with unlimited nearness, in this unlimited kingdom, would we ever think or want to go to anyone or anything else for redemption or help or deliverance? Daniel is saying to these people who are fearful, who are recognizing their own limitations, it's okay. Realize them. Recognize them. But turn and run to the unlimited God who will redeem and save you. Who is this message for? Well, it's interesting that the book of Daniel, the the first chapter is uh, in Hebrew, written in a way that the, the, the exiled people of God would be able to read and understand it. 
But beginning in verse 4, in chapter 2, where it says that the Chaldeans answered in Aramaic, the rest of this chapter, all the way through um, uh, chapter 6 or 7, I believe, um, is in Aramaic, and then it picks up in Hebrew again. Aramaic would have been the international language of the time. See, what God is saying is that this message, that hope and deliverance can be found in the God of Israel, is not just a message for Israel. It's a message for the nations. This unlimited God does not restrict Himself to one socio-political ethnic group. He's the unlimited God who redeems those from all tribes and tongues and people and nations. And He wants the nations to be able to understand and read this as it gets circulated and that it goes around that they will know that there is a God who rules, that there is a God who has no limitations. And when you run to Him, you will be saved and delivered. So what do we do? We run, but we're going to have to wait. We are going to have to wait for this kingdom. The people of Judah needed to recognize this, and you and I need to recognize this as well. Notice how patiently we're going to have to wait for this kingdom. Remember, Daniel's writing to a group of people who have just come back from Babylon. They're in... um, uh, in back in Judah, around Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar's just, uh, Babylon's just lost power. Cyrus and the Persians are in power. But what Daniel's telling them is, hey, guess what? The Persians are going to be around, but there's another kingdom coming after them. And then there's another kingdom coming after them. The kingdom that you're expecting, that God has promised that He's going to establish, is not coming quick. In fact, you're going to have to endure. You're going to have to wait. It may be a struggle, and it may be very, very far off. But what Daniel is telling the, the people of God is, remember, this is the unlimited God who will establish His, his, uh, his kingdom. And you're going to have to wait patiently to see it come. It will not come immediately. Even notice the way that he describes this kingdom of God. Once it does come, in uh, verse 34 and 35, as Daniel describes it, Remember, he describes it as being a stone. But then it says that the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So even what Daniel's describing here is once this kingdom does come, it's going to come and start off as a stone, but it's going to take time for it to develop to be this mountain that fills the entire earth. So even once the beginnings of this kingdom are, are, are present, It's not going to come instantly. Do we not see this with Jesus? What did he announce when he came? The kingdom of God is at hand. The book of Hebrews tells us that in his resurrection, Jesus was clarified and demonstrated to be the king of glory who now sits at the right hand of God. He rules and he reigns now. His kingdom has begun. It's already here, but it's not yet here. We must wait. But we don't wait in fear. We don't wait with doubts. We wait with confidence. Notice what Daniel says in verse 45. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain. 
its interpretation sure. The reason you can wait patiently is because you can wait confidently, knowing that this unlimited God always and completely and thoroughly brings about what He says He would do. We see it throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, and we see it confirmed to us in Jesus' coming. Not just coming, but dying. Not just dying, but raising from the dead. Confirming to us that what God says He does, He always will do. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical event that surely occurred. From that, we can have great confidence as God's people to know in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our doubts and our fears, in the midst of our limitations, in the midst of what seems like is God ever going to bring His kingdom. Daniel would say, yes, He will. It is certain. It is sure. Wait with patience. Wait with confidence. And lastly, wait faithfully. Verses 46 through 49, you realize at the end of this, Daniel's still serving in Babylon. Daniel's still serving a king whose kingdom's going to come to an end. After this, he will serve Cyrus in the kingdoms of Persia. Daniel doesn't just say, forget all y'all. He continues to minister and to serve faithfully, involved in the politics of Babylon, involved in the, the life of Persia, but faithfully depending and resting and serving his God, refusing to compromise his allegiance, refusing to turn his heart to some other sort of limited kingdom or person that he hopes will deliver him. He lives faithfully in a broken and messed up world, serving his one and true king, living as an ambassador for the true unending kingdom of God. This is something all of us need to remember. We need to be careful that as God's people, we are not more known for uh, our allegiance to a certain political party or any kind of candidate or country or system of government and realizing and remembering we can be faithful in the midst of every single one of those and we should be. We should be faithful members and contributors to our community and our society, but we must remember we are faithful members and our true identity is in the kingdom of the unlimited God of whom Jesus is the ruler, redeemer, and authority. Are you struggling? Are you wondering what to do in the midst of this world? Daniel points God's people then and he points us now to turn from our own limitations to flee to the unlimited God and to await His kingdom. That when Christ returns, He will bring it and He will establish it fully forever. And those who hope and trust in Him will be there as His beloved subjects and children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for Your great work of redemption. We thank You for 
your ruling and your reigning. We thank you that we can trust what we've read here today and know that it is true. Help us to, to, to await and to trust and look to Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. As Jesus was on His way to die, the unlimited one was going to die. To His disciples, it looked as if He'd lost. But He hadn't. Jesus was explaining to them what was going to happen. As He was eating with them, He took bread and He broke it. And then He said, This bread is My body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. The same way after the supper, Christ took the cup and He blessed it. And He said, This cup is the new covenant in My blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As long as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim My death until I return. You see, Jesus' death was not loss. He was not defeated. He was securing the victory for His people, overcoming sin, overcoming death, overcoming Satan. Jesus gave His body and His blood to deliver and save His people. Our God came near. He dwelt with man in flesh and blood. You could touch Jesus. You could hug Jesus. Jesus had a smell. Jesus ate. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus is coming again. As the bread and the cup go around, as you feel this physical, material bread and you drink and smell this real wine, know that just as surely as that is real is how true and sure the promises of Christ are. And He will come back to save and redeem us and establish His spiritual and physical kingdom here forever that we will all participate in who are hoping in Him. Is Jesus your King? Is He your Savior? Are you hoping and trusting in Him? And nothing else. Not in your works. Not in your wisdom. Not in your strength. Not in your religion. But hoping and trusting in Christ. Looking to Him for your salvation. Have you been baptized, marked as a citizen of the people of the kingdom of, the, of, of God? As one of His people. If you've been admitted to Christ's table, then come and eat and drink. You don't need to be a member of Harbor Presbyterian Church. This isn't our table. This is Jesus' table. And He invites all of His people to come and eat with Him. If that doesn't describe you this morning in the insert in your worship guide, there's a, some prayers that I would encourage you to consider today. May this be the day that you call to the God who comes near. Would you recognize your limitations and flee to the limitless one to deliver you? Let's pray. If you're helping with the supper, would you come forward? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your promises to us. We thank You for Christ. We thank You for the supper. We thank You for this bread and this wine and pray that You would use these common things by faith to nourish us, our souls, our bodies, as we await Christ's coming. In His name we pray. Amen. We are passing bread around, just as Christ did with His disciples. Um, If you're eating with us, please take some. We'll wait and eat together, uh, but we'll sing the first few verses of this song as the bread's being passed.
Jesus died, my cross hath taken, all to leave and follow Thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken, Thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known. Yet how rich is my condition, God and heaven are still my own. Let the world despise and leave me. They have left my Savior too. Human hearts and looks deceive me. Thou art not like them untrue. Oh, while thou dost smile upon me, God of wisdom, love, and light, foes may hate and friends disown me. Show thy face and all is right. Many trouble and distress me. Twill but drive me to thy breast. Life with trials hard may press me. Heaven will bring me sweeter rest. Oh, tis not in grief to harm me, while thy love is left to me. Oh, twere not in joy to charm me, were that joy unmissed with thee. Your risen, exalted, and returning King gave His body for you. Take and eat. After the supper, Christ took the cup and He blessed it and He said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. We too are passing cups around. Uh, the 